I was thinking this morning on my way to church that I used to stand up here all the time on Thursday Saturdays when I was like four years old on one of those chairs and just joke around with y'all and make y'all laugh. But now I'm I'm nervous. I'm I'm gonna be honest. I'm pretty nervous to stand before y'all this morning. Uh, I ask that y'all continue to pray for me and and for the little bit of time that I stand before y'all this morning. Have your Bibles. I'd like to turn to Second Corinthians chapter twelve. Um, when Papa came to me yesterday asking me if I wanted to introduce, um, the first thing that came to my mind was God's sufficient grace towards us. Because without God's grace, where would we be? This is, we are able to come here every Sunday with the want to be here because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ died for our sins on the cross and gave God the endless stores, and God bestowed his, bestowed his endless stores of grace upon us every day when we lift our heads from our beds. The verse that's on my mind is verse number nine. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, why I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The Lord is, I believe the Lord is saying here that at our weakest times, that he strength that his perf his perfectness strength the way he's perfect strengthens us, right. and that we are able to say, and we are able to, to take a breath and calm down. And um, there's one example in Mark chapter nine where uh, the father brought his demon possessed son to Jesus Christ and said, and Christ said, if thou canst believe, sorry, I need to go there. Uh, Verse 23, Jesus said unto them, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. In that moment, when that father said that the, the Lord then goes to, the Lord then says, Thou dumb and dead spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. That son was on his last straw. The demon, the demon possessed him was overtaking him. And I believe that he was on his last straw. And when the Lord, and when the Lord blessed him and took the demon out of him, it said that he was as one dead. I don't believe he was dead. I believe that he was exhausted. I believe that when he came, and uh, I believe that he was exhausted, but by, by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's grace, he was able to be lifted up. Um, in verse 27 it says, But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Some, something very similar to that is in Isaiah 14, Isaiah 41, chapter 13, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. When we are in times of trouble and times of need, may we remember to go to the Lord in prayer and ask, and ask for his grace and mercy upon us. Later, two verses later in Isaiah 41, it says, Behold, I will make thee a new sharp threshing instrument having teeth. Thou shalt thresh the mountains and beat them small, and shalt make the hills as chaff. The Lord, we have these instruments, our Bibles, we read them. We find, we find peace in them. Our church, our loved ones here in the church, we can go to them in times of need, and we know that they're going to stay here and help us. And for... 
And the more that we continue to grow in our faith and grow in grace, the more his grace is sufficient unto us and the more we feel it. And, uh, but, when we, but when we let pride get in the way of that, that's when we're blind. We only see what's right here. We cannot see what's far out. And, and we struggle with it. We do. But that's when we have to pray more than we've ever prayed before. For the Lord to remove our selfish spirit and to bless us with his grace. Uh, first Peter chapter, Second Peter chapter 3, excuse me, uh, verse 18. Ugh. But in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. But growing grace. Continue to grow. Continue to go to church. Continue to read your Bibles. Continue to pray for one another. Continue... Continue to give thanksgiving unto God for what he's done for us. Um, And uh, never and continue to come to church because this is our this is our hiding place. This is this is the Bethel spot that Jesus put down here on this earth. And bless the men to build in 1852 for us to come here every Sunday and, re- and worship and rejoice with each other. Let us not forsake that and let us continue to come to church and to worship thy great and holy name. I'll close with uh, James 4 verse 6. Be he giveth more grace, wherefore ever he saith, God resisteth the pride, but giveth grace unto the humble. May we humble ourselves in the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins, because we do not we did nothing to deserve for him to do that for us, but out of his grace and loving kindness he died for us, and we are able to confidently say that one day we will be in heaven, serving that great and holy name forevermore. Let us never forsake the sufficient grace that the Lord has given to us. I thank y'all for y'all's kind attention. May the Lord richly bless y'all. Certainly appreciate the things that have gone before and that God gives us grace to ask for more grace. <laughs> grace for grace, it sounds like, doesn't it? That's what it says in the first chapter of John. Give us grace for grace. Give us living grace because of eternal grace. We never get tired of, of hearing about grace. Out in the lunchroom we were talking, mentioned a little story about when Brother Audrey, Aubrey Ellis, I think it was, that passed away and I hadn't been able to come to church much because of his health and everything. He passed away, and his family called me and asked that we have the funeral. And, and in it, she, uh, the daughter, I think it was, asked, uh, uh, Brother Sonny, do, do you think you could mention grace somewhere in the, in the funeral? I said, uh, yes, ma'am, I, I think we could. <laughs> uh, When we're in need, is there ever a time when we're not in need? 
we live in an environment where the need for grace is constant. But God has the ability and has a wherewithal to provide us that that we stand in need of. So thankful for what has gone before. And it's been a while since I've been up here to try to preach before you. It's been over a month. And uh, I have missed it. I've missed sharing this with you. And uh, I'm thankful to once again be able to be engaged in service in this capacity. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to turn to the 23rd chapter of Jeremiah. I just want to get one verse out of that, but I thought it'd be good to read it instead of trying to quote at it. It's in the 6th verse, Jeremiah 23 and 6. Well, let me read 5. Jeremiah 23 and 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise up unto David a righteous branch. And a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. And in his days, the days when that righteous branch, that king, in his days Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name. I'm thankful when the Lord, the Bible provides the answer to the question that we would have. Well, who is this? Who is this that he's talking about? Who is this king? And this is his name. Whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. There are many names in Scripture that are titles to our Lord, perhaps as many as 200 in the Scriptures. Uh, You can start thinking about them, certainly the Lord, the great shepherd, the high priest, the second man Adam, the last man Adam, uh, captain of our salvation, uh, the Lamb of God, I mean, just go on and on. But this doesn't jump to our minds normally when we consider the titles of our Lord. The Lord, our righteousness. What does that mean to us? I think to those that don't feel a need of grace or a need of unworthiness, feeling of their sins or whatever, it doesn't mean much. It doesn't mean maybe anything. I don't know. We know that the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But what does it mean to those that do feel themselves to be unworthy? Those that do feel themselves to be lacking those who are of humble, contrite spirit. Those who feel their poverty. Those who petition the Lord for this grace. My friends, it is everything. The Lord, our righteousness. If we can't see that, if we don't 
perceive that. And I think that there's, I hate to use the term, don't know a better one right now, but levels in which we do, and God's people do, but so many of God's people really don't see the Lord our righteousness. They don't see how righteous He is and that He is our righteousness. So what happens to folks that way? Well, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record they have a zeal of God but not according to knowledge. Or what are they ignorant of? Next verse says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. So what do they do? They go about to establish their own righteousness. And what else have they failed to do? And have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. If we don't see how the Lord is our righteousness, then we'll go about trying to establish our own righteousness. The Bible clearly states that our righteousness is as filthy rags. We have a tendency to try to maybe use philosophy, maybe use even vain deceit or whatever to, and there's plenty of, of ammunition that you can get in the philosophies of this world and in books and uh, on airwaves and even in songs and uh, so forth and so on to help you build up your own righteousness. But I remember what the Lord said on which man went down to his house justified. It wasn't the man that said, I thank thee that I'm not like this man. For I have done this and I've done that. You see him establishing his own righteousness. I have done. And what did this, this poor publican do? He, he, he wouldn't even lift his eyes upward. He just smote his breast, bowed his head, and said, Lord, be merciful. Unto me a sinner. That man had an idea. That he could not provide his own righteousness. And you know what he's feeling when he says. That he's a sinner. Be merciful. His weakness. And I believe as brother Silas has read to us. That God's strength is made perfect. Complete, whole, in weakness. We have examples in the Old Testament. Remember one with Gideon, I think it was, where you have too many men. Lest Israel would vaunt themselves and said their own hand has delivered. My friends, over and over and over again in history, in the Old Testament, we see the children of Israel... Where the Lord, against all odds, just win the battle for them. 
just deliver the victory to them. More so, my friends, on Calvary. He has made us more than conquerors. For He hath won the battle. He hath fought and won and is victorious. And He is our righteousness. How does that work? How is it that God is our righteousness? Well, it's certainly not by our faith. But it is by faith. And that faith is the faith of God. Now, when we start thinking about the faith of God, we'll get all kinds of ideas thrown out there. But the first thing we have to understand is that the definition of faith that is in Hebrews is not the faith of God. Then what is it? Well, we'll hear words like fidelity. We hear words like trust. I think it's this way. My simple way of of, of viewing it is this. That before time ever was, God covenanted together with God. The covenant of grace is what we call it. But they each agreed and covenanted together. And in that covenant, it included what each person in the Godhead would perform. The end result being to obtain eternal salvation for those that he loved and chose. But that in that covenant, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, each obligated themselves to each other. Not obligating it to us, but obligating themselves to each other. In the Trinity and as one God. So you have this covenant of grace. And it requires a strict adherence and compliance to do the things they have obligated to do. And therein in the performing of those things and the uh, various requirements that were needed is God's faith in action. For us, it's revealed. How? By the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, As it is written, the just shall live by faith. That's why we need to hear the gospel. That's why, as Brother Silas says, we need to come to church. And we need to pray that the Lord would open our hearts and our minds. That we might grow in grace. And as we grow, my friends, we start to see and realize even more and more of how God, Christ, is our righteousness. 
The faith of God, my friends. Go read over in the third chapter of the Roman letter. Three and one says, What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. No one else got those. Gentiles didn't get them. The Greek didn't get them. No one else got them save the Jews. Is that an advantage? Yes. How much of an advantage? Chiefly, much in every way. Then it asks a question. Third verse. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Do you know how many folks in church this very moment believe that it does? They won't say that, but they do. That God would have done all that God could do. And now it's up to you. That election is this way, they would say. God has a vote, Satan has a vote, and you cast the deciding vote. No, my friend. No, my friends. Our belief, in fact, pertaining to this, we find in the 11th chapter of Romans where it says this, For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. Listen to what he says. I'll ask the question again. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. There's no stronger language in the Bible than to say no, than to say God forbid. No, it won't ever be that way. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. (laughs) Concerning our eternal salvation, my friends, it does not depend one iota upon our faithfulness or our belief. It all is dependent upon God, my friends. His grace and His faith and His work. We can drop down in that third chapter. Uh, Starting the 19th verse, 3 and 19 of Romans. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. And all the world may become guilty before God. You know that's the purpose of the law. That's why the law of Moses was given my friends. That it might mark sin. That it might show that no one is able to live a life righteous enough of their own to secure salvation on their own. The Bible says... That death reigned from Adam to Moses. Were they sinners? Yes. When sin is complete, it bringeth forth death. But if death reigned from Adam to Moses, what sin did they commit? The only law given in that period of time was given to Adam. And Adam broke the law. But what law was given from Adam to Moses? Wasn't any given. 
So what does that show? That shows, my friends, that we all sinned at the similitude of Adam's transgression. We were all guilty in Adam. And death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. But then, at God's own time, He gave a law unto Moses to be given unto the Jews. That now, not only would they know their sinners, they would know what sin that they had committed. They would know what transgression is. And they would see and understand that if this is the man that doeth those things. That's what the law says. The man that doeth those things is righteous. But no one could perfectly. We all, so listen to what it says here. Now we know that what what things soever the law saith, it saith to them under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is a knowledge of sin. Oh, my friends, but now. I love that next verse, 21st verse of the third chapter. But now. There needs to come a change. Something has to change, my friends. If it would just be under the law and all we see is sin and sin and sin. Oh, how to, how would it, I don't understand how it would be to live under uh, that penalty. To live under uh, that reminder over and over again. When you would come and bring an animal uh, to be sacrificed for your sins, it had to be the very best that you had. Couldn't have spot or blemish upon it. You'd have to take the very finest that you have and watch it uh, to the priest and watch it be killed and watch the blood be handled and so forth and so on. It was just full of death. But now, but now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. What does that mean? My friends, it was prophesied that he should. In fact, what we read to you in our opening our verse, my friend, was written in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, prophesying of the Lord to come. We can read prophecy and prophecy and prophecy over and over again. That the government shall be upon his shoulders. That there shall be a man. That he should be born, born of a virgin birth, etc., etc., It prophesied of Him coming. But my friends, the time came that He did come. And John tells us, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. He came to the Jews. But they did not receive Him. And not as a people. But now, but now is the righteousness of God without the law manifested. For all have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There it is. That's how this righteousness uh, is. It's our righteousness. It's because He redeemed us by His blood. Out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. He goes on to saying, Whom God set forth. To be a propitiation through the faith in His blood. To declare His righteousness 
for the remissions of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It's excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. What does all that mean? That means, my friends, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. But it couldn't be animal blood. It couldn't even be blood of a man, my friends. It had to be righteous blood. It had to be holy blood. It had to be a perfect man. It had to be one that had no sin. It had to be one that could uh, uh, withstand the rigors of the law and come forth a uh, uh, true and, and justified. And what the law actually would do is declare him holy. Even Pontius Pilate had problems saying there was any wrong with him. <laughs> I find no fault in him. Why? Because there was no fault in him to find. He could stand up to that law and be judged by that law and be pound, found perfect in every aspect to a jot and to a tittle. He had no sin of his own. But nevertheless, it still required a perfect offering. And Christ is our offering. God the Father laid upon His own Son the iniquity of us all. We are healed by His stripes. A chapter of Romans clearly declares, my friends, that He that spared not His own Son. Whoa, I can't imagine. That goes beyond my ability to put a picture on it. Oh, I can use an Old Testament picture, but it really fails in comparison. I remember a man named Abraham one time took his son, as the Bible declares it, his only son, even though he had Ishmael from another uh, woman. But here his only son, and took him up and laid him upon an altar as the Lord directed him, and pulled back a knife, and I fear, or without any doubt in my mind, would have plunged it through his son and offered him my friend. Hebrews tells us what he was believing while he was doing that, my friend, that the Lord promised that through this promised seed a, a whole nation would spring. And that hadn't happened yet. But if I take his life, God has to be loyal to his promise. He'd raise that boy up again. That's what Hebrews tells us. But somebody spoke to Abraham. That's being God the Father. And said, Abraham, stay thy hand. And he looked and he said, the Lord shall provide himself an offering. And he looks over and there's a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. The only way that a ram can defend itself. Caught in a thicket by his horn. He took and asked, don't you know. He received him in a, in, in a spirit as it were. In a figure. Don't you know as he began to take the cords off of his son and to loose him from off of that altar, he knew uh, what he was going to do. He knew that that ram was going to take the place of his son, my friends, and there be offered in place of him. But I'll tell you, when the true lamb of Christ came, uh, not a figure, but the actual lamb of Christ, and not upon an altar uh, made with hands in that manner, my friends, but upon a cruel cross, and Romans nailed him there. But when he was lifted up on that cross, uh, uh, 
There was no hand. No one would say, stay thy hand. Who's going to tell God to stay his hand? No, my friends, it was time for redemption. It was time for atonement. It was time that sins be blotted out. The handwriting of ordinances that was against us to be taken out of the way. It was time for him to actually show that he is our righteousness. Not just in prophecy, but in reality. He is our righteousness. And there, suspended between heaven and earth, no one stayed his hand. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know the answer to that question? For you. But more than just for you. How could that be? Why is it more? Let's turn to the 89th Psalms. And read this. 89th Psalms in the 30th verse. If his children forsake my law. And walk not in my judgments. If they break my statues and keep not my commandments. Then will I visit their transgression with the rod. And their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless my loving kindness. Will I not utterly take from whom? Not them. That's what it should say if he's talking about his children, should it? If his children forsake, so forth. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not only take from, not them, but from him. Who? Christ. He has sworn. There's the faith of God in effect, my friends. He has sworn. That's what it says. My covenant will I not. Well, let me read it. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not know to take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the things that has gone over my mouth. Once have I sworn by my holiness, that will I not repent. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me, my friends. Don't you see what I'm trying to say? God has sworn... That he would not restrain the hand. That he would not, not well as it says, uh, he would not spare his own son. But deliver him up for, he swore that. To who? To himself and to the deity. To the, I haven't even defined. What is righteousness? What, how would you define righteousness? Here's how I define it. It is the perfection of. Of the divine. That's righteousness. He swore. The son. Enter into an oath. Before time. To come down in this. uh, Low ground of sin and sorrow. And not come as they thought. On a horse. On a great white horse. Riding in all of his might. And all of his glory. But as a little baby. Not even born in a castle. Not even born in the fire. But in a stall. There was no form or comeliness about him. 
It's depicted like he had a halo around. No, he didn't. I believe he looked like any other Jewish boy would look, my friends. And yet, he's the Son of God manifested in the flesh. Ah, oh, there was one that saw him, though. Because God swore this time to another man and told Simeon that he should not see death and so he has seen the Lord's anointed. I don't know how long he stood there. I don't know how long he watched male babies be circumcised. But he was there, my friends. When Joseph and Mary brought the babe in. And the Lord revealed it unto him. This is my son. This is my ordained. This is the one whom I will lay my hand upon. This is the one who mine own arm shall bring salvation. He has laid help on one that is mighty my friend. And there he is as a little baby. But Simeon saw him. I tell you, someone else that had a special load to carry there all through his life is Mary. Mary knew she had never been with a man. Mary knew that she was a virgin when baby Jesus was born. Mary knew it. The Lord said that the sword shall not depart from her heart. Something along those lines. Didn't quote it exactly. But the fact is, my friends, she had a special burden to carry. But the Lord took care of her too, didn't he? Told John, Behold thy mother. Told Mary, Behold thy son. The Lord, our righteousness. Now this being said, and it's true, it's true whether I don't have much liberty talking about it, it's true whether you don't believe it, or whether you do believe it, it's true. He is our righteousness. He stands as our righteousness today. Very few of God's people really knows what that means. I heard just before services started about those that would try to make up all kinds of things <laughs> pertaining to how God populates heaven. Anyone that thinks that they have to add something no, what if it's just the little finger, just to add anything to the work of Christ in order for it to be effective, my friends, has missed the whole point. If it's that way, it's not by grace anymore. It's by works. How much work on man's part does it take to make grace no more grace? The first inkling of it, my friends. It's like how much yeast needs to be put in bread before it affects the whole lump.
So what should we do? Is there a responsibility that we have? Sixth chapter of Romans says this. Sixteenth verse. And I wish everybody here, everybody here, including my own self, that we would realize the importance of this. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey his servant ye are to whom ye obey. We live in a society that makes you think I'm my own man. I yield to no one. You know what he's yielding to? Himself. <laughs> a self-righteous spirit. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servant ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, well, I'll be, look what it says next, or of obedience unto righteousness. You see, this is kind of like what we have said before about reconciliation. God has provided the reconciliation to His people. To all of them. On the cross. And it's there. And it is done. But then before He leaves that, He says, I come to you, Paul says, as an ambassador of God for Christ's sake, that ye be reconciled to God. Well, same thing here. The righteousness is there, my friends. But I want you to know it honors God. It raises God. It exalts God. It cries out by your actions, holy, holy, thrice holy art thou. When we Yield ourselves to God in time as obedience unto righteousness. Now we're righteous from a heaven standpoint whether we do that or not. But, well, let me just read the rest of it. But God be thanked, he says, 17th verse, that ye were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, ye became servants to righteousness. What does that mean? That we raise up our voices and say the song, Holy, holy, holy art thou, Lord God Almighty. We should not. Be afraid of the judgment of God, my friends. We've already been judged and been made accepted in the Beloved. We sing a song. I won't be able to get it all. I can't get it all. But the fact, the, 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 the essence of the song is that whatever the law might demand, 
Christ's obedience has answered. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves, including, my friends, being obedient to any law you want to talk about, whether it be the law of Moses or the law of God. He was obedient to it. Judge is holy, judge is righteous. Nevertheless, because he took upon our sins, it still required his death and punishment. One more place and then we'll stop. I think it's James. James 1 and 22. Well, before I go to that, I I won't turn to read it. I think it's in Luke. It says this. If you love me, if you love me, you listening? If you love me, keep my commandments. How hard is that to understand? If you love me, how do we show our love to God? By keeping His commandments. You know what that's like? Maybe I ought to just go read that before I read this up. Uh, sixth chapter of Luke says this, 46 verse. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Now that's a really good question. Why call me Master? Why call me Lord? Why, why, why call me this? And then don't keep what I tell you to do. It's insulting to God. <laughs> To say, Lord, Lord, and then ignore what he says to do. He's not your Lord. Not here, and you're not act- we're not acting like it. And why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me, and heareth my saying, and doeth them, I will shew- show you to whom he is like. Now here's a person. That does call him Lord, Lord. And does keep his commandments. And I want to show you what he's like. He says. He is like a man which built a house. And dig deep. And laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose. And the stream beat vehemently against that house. And could not shake it. Why? For it was founded upon a rock. Is there a rock for us to build our lives on? Yes, the rock of ages, my friend. The great rock in a weary land. Not the rock as referred to as Peter, like a pebble or a stone. He says, I'll build my church, what? On this rock. But he that heareth and doeth not. Do you know how many folks don't ever really even hear the true gospel? I would say it's over 99% and more that, hadn't, that don't ever hear the true gospel. 
But for you and I to be able to hear it and understand it to be, how do we know it's true? Because it feeds us. Because it stirs something within us. The same reason that when Ananias got to Saul of Tarsus, as recorded to us, both in, in, in Acts and in, in Romans 7, he said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, the same Lord that had appeared unto thee in the way has appeared unto me also. There's a commonality. There's something, my friend, that not only makes sense in our ears, not only makes sense in our mind, it first makes sense in our heart. With the heart man believeth unto salvation, with the mouth confession is made. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation build a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Payday comes in our lives, my friends. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And some of the most complaining I have done, and I have heard done, is why, Lord, did this happen, only to realize I haven't done what I needed to do in this life. I've heard... But I didn't do. Now I'll go to James. Then I'll, I'll, I'll stop. Twenty-second verse, one and twenty-second of James. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. You see, if you're a hearer only, you're deceiving your own self. Because the joy is in the doing. Don't, don't remember that with the foot washing service with the Lord? If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continue therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So what am I saying? I'm saying the righteousness is there. He is our righteousness. And if we know that, my friends, it should change how we act. Which should be able to be show forth in our lives. We should not just be a hearer, but also a doer. We should call Him Lord and then keep the sayings that He has told us to do. We in the church, we think that maybe once after we have uh, uh, rose up, come down, presented ourselves, been baptized, that we're done with keeping the law. No, 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 my friends. 
as Brother Silas has reminded us, we need to pray for one another. We need to watch over one another for good. We need to forgive one another. We need to be at one another's feet. We need to eagerly spend and be spent for the cause sake, my friends. And great will be your reward. Not in heaven, right here on earth. One thing I have heard the last couple of weeks with this awful death of Brother James and his wonderful family who's so prominent in the state of Georgia and also in Florida, I guess. They said they've, other people have just remarked how unbelievably they have reacted to this. Sure, they mourned. Sure, they've wept. But they tell others, I feel God strengthening us. Did you, have you not felt that? All of us have passed through sorrows. All of us have had to bury loved ones. All of us have encountered the things common to man and salvation and so forth. But friends. Well, as Brother Larry Webb said yesterday morning, it's a God thing. <laughs> It's a God thing. What strengthened the James families, my friend, through all of this is a God thing. What has strengthened you in your individual challenges of life? It's a God thing. You know what we need to do? Rise up and call him blessed. Let the redeemed of the Lord Say so, but not just with your lips, with your actions. God help us. Now I'm persuaded He will, and He has. God watch over Bethel. I believe He will, and He has. God provide for us. I believe He will. And he has. And in all those things I've just said, I believe he will continue to. Our strength is in the Lord. Our righteousness is Jesus Christ, our Savior. We extol his great name. We bow down in unison and call him blessed. We unite together around the throne of God, as it were, arm in arm, saying, Worthy art thou, for thou was slain. May God bless you, is our prayer. We stand and sing some simple hymn. There'll be one or more that has this desire in their heart for some reason that's not acting upon it. Encourage you, O oh Lord, to all the friends to call him Lord and then to do what he says to you. One of the things that he says to you is arise and be baptized. 156. 156. Great kids are charming, so.